Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. We are in the middle, or actually we're at the end of a Sunday sermon series this Lent. We also have one on Wednesdays and continuing into Holy Week. But this is the final installment of The Covenant Fulfilled. And I will tell you, although uh, last week, indeed I said, um, uh, that message from Numbers 21 and John 3 is what triggered me and my advanced planning to say, wow, Numbers 21, Jesus explicitly said was fulfilled. That bronze snake is he lifted up on the cross. And although there are others that have so much meaning, the first one, Abraham sacrificing his son, what a picture of what God would do almost 2,000 years later as he gave his son. Although all the sermons in the series reflected the theme, today is where I got the title. Because today, the word is so important. In Jeremiah chapter 31, there may be no better verse of the Old Testament. The beginning and the end of it again from the ESV, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that's his name, Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in sum, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We see that fulfilled, of course, in the New Testament. And let me delineate how, somewhat quickly here with Jeremiah, although, although I already regret it, such a loaded text. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. There is a real sense of anticipation here of some fulfillment indeed and I hope that's been sensed and known all through this series God prefigured what he would do all through the Old Testament from uh, Adam and Eve slaughtering animals in their stead to cover their sin through Abraham and the fathers, Moses and the deliverance out of Egypt, David and the kings on and on through the predictions of the prophets like Jeremiah here. The people lived anticipating the days, the days are coming when he will fulfill all this. We live the same, or should. Not in the Old Testament, anticipating the appearance in the flesh of God's own Son, our Savior Jesus, but still living in anticipation of His appearing again in, in glory 
theologians call it the now but not yet. Now but not yet. We, we have everything from God now by the work of Jesus. They did in the Old Testament too, although it hadn't been enacted. But we haven't seen it with our eyes yet perfected. We, we hold it by faith, trusting God's word, but anticipate the day, the day is coming. Indeed, with a new covenant. That word new is really important, especially when the New Testament quotes this section a number of times with the Greek word used there, and I'll come back to that, but the word covenant too, part of the title of the sermon series, is more than just a, a, a promise. It is a solemn promise. A promise sealed indeed I'll share later with a sacrifice, a payment, an obligation. God will show his new solemn promise. But the essence is here. They will know me, he says, and I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. He is talking about some of the specific sins in Jeremiah's day, 600 years before, before Jesus was born, their faithlessness that caused the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. But it's also talking about all sin, forgiven, set aside, lifted up from the people, no longer a burden indeed, no longer, did you notice this? Remembered by God. The theme paragraph today tries to explain this, but it's almost beyond explanation. How can God, omniscient God, who knows all things, promise not to remember sin? Now it is explained, and I think justifiably so, by the meaning of the word remember. You're going to get an email tomorrow, I think, or Tuesday, in which I confess that I did not remember our wedding anniversary last month. Oh no, I, I had it in my head, I can't forget. It's Valentine's Day. but I didn't put it into action the way I should. I almost did that on our first anniversary, driving home from church after we had already purchased gifts for one another, a, a saltwater aquarium that was our first project together. But I had gotten no cards, no flowers, no candy. <laughs> Stopped at Kroger on the way home from church. That's remembering, also in the Bible, to put into action. God does not do that with your sins or mine. He doesn't act upon them. And indeed, there's a reason for why they are gone from his mind. That's the covenant fulfilled. We see Mark chapter 10, 
And in our epistle for today, Hebrews, not just chapter 5, but almost it all, that entire letter, there is, first of all, a sense of anticipation. Days are coming. I think especially in the opening verses of our text, they're considered optional verses by those who created our lectionary. There is a line here that should give you pause for those in my Tuesday class. I mentioned this in anticipation that something came out to me that I really had missed before. Did you hear it? It says they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. Now, I've seen that a lot, but the next line, those who followed were afraid. They were filled with fear and that's not entirely negative. It is that awesome fear of God. The people following Jesus to Jerusalem the final time here are anticipating what's going to happen. The covenant fulfilled. That's, that's why they are following but maybe not completely the way they should. We see the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Matthew tells us their mother also was involved making a selfish, self-centered request. It appears, I don't want to judge them too much, because I and you, we have done the same, making demands of our Lord. And Jesus reproves all his disciples that that's the wrong attitude. Indeed, Philippians chapter 2 says, Have this mind among you which was also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself. And that explains truly how this covenant is fulfilled. It was happening then, it's happened past tense. We shall see it happen before our eyes in glory. Jesus predicts his suffering, death, and resurrection. A covenant indeed. I mentioned that a covenant is to be sealed with a sacrifice. The verb in the Old Testament Hebrew to make a covenant reflects it it's actually the verb to cut at least once maybe more in the Old Testament we see the actual scene where an animal was cut in two maybe multiple animals with the blood sealing the covenant and the the covenant parties would pass between those two pieces the blood the price sealing the promise Jesus cuts the covenant here as he goes to Jerusalem to give his own blood and it's all through the letter to the Hebrews the writer we're not sure who not only in chapter 5 where we heard he is a priest 
Not just like Aaron and the priest of the Old Testament special, like Melchizedek. Go home and look that up. I don't have time in the sermon today to preach about that. A unique figure in the Old Testament. Came out of nowhere and nowhere else was seen except Genesis 14. Although he's mentioned elsewhere, his name means king of righteousness. But he's king of Salem, which means king of peace. He has righteousness and peace. And in Genesis 14, basically, Abraham worships him and receives from him a blessing. Many scholars think that was a, a, an appearance pre-incarnate of the Savior to Abraham. And indeed, in the very next chapter is that one scene I know where a covenant is cut and it is God who goes between the pieces of the animal to seal his promises to Abraham, to you, to me. The payment has been made and that is how it is new. He drinks the cup. He is baptized with the baptism of suffering, he tells James and John here. He does what no animal before could do, gives the final offering, Hebrews 10, once for all. That's the idea of this as a new covenant. The word new in our English Bibles in the New Testament can be one of two words in Greek and this is this is important one word is neos we get uh, the prefix neo neolithic new stones I guess I don't know and that means new in time not as old I'm gonna show you some of the pastor's wardrobe today some of you have seen and know um, these are shoes I wear quite a bit. They're old. You can see they're getting tattered and frayed. I wear them when I drive long distances because they're comfortable. But as soon as I cross the parking lot and get into my office, I take these off and slip on some other footwear. New shoes so I look presentable around the building these are new in time they are not as old but if I need some new footwear using the other Greek word kairos perhaps I've got a problem with my feet they're swelling or they smell and they do I might want new footwear that is like this different, fresh, serving the purpose that's needed. Jesus is the bringer of the new covenant, the covenant in a way animals could not bring, priests before could not bring, the temple before could not bring. Jesus brings it in a way that fulfills. Indeed, a consummate way to remember our sins no more. 
That is because, as the theme paragraph says, there is a payment for our sins. The last line of our gospel should both rock you and comfort you. As he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, the payment for many, for all, the writer to the Hebrews says. A payment that amazingly blocks your sin and guilt in God's mind. All he sees is the blood, the righteousness of Christ. Indeed. It's beyond understanding there are stories of the early church fathers and others addressing questions that have been around for centuries, if not millennia. There is a story of, of Augustine in the fourth century who one time had a student to ask him sarcastically and with a snide attitude, the Bible never mentions it. When did God create hell? Supposedly Augustine answered, God created hell when he foresaw that a student like you would ask a question like that. <laughs> the, there is also that question. I bet everybody here has seen if I were a betting man. Can God create a rock so heavy that he himself cannot move it? I almost think some of those questions are blasphemous. That if someone is seriously asking that, trying to test God or put themselves above God, look at, I've got a question that can't be answered of God, then, then there is one like that that needs to be mentioned. God has created a payment for sin so big that it covers all sin that he would see. It is the blood of Christ. If you think your guilt is unforgivable, come to this meal today and know the payment is here, the body and blood of Christ blocking out your sin from God. And then go forth clinging to that forgiveness. Indeed, forgiveness with a following. What Jesus said and did here changed these disciples. We know that afterwards, they, they, they were not as selfish and self-centered and ignorant. Indeed, instead of looking for a proud spot on Jesus' right or left, they would give themselves, all of them, in service and in sacrifice. That's what happens when we really know Christ's ransom for us, his forgiveness of us. We are drawn to him. Yesterday in our discussions about the pastor candidates, someone mentioned of one or more that 
in order to lead a large congregation or a large staff, there must be a certain charisma to that person. There is something that attracts us to follow someone. For Jesus, it's nothing outward at first. Isaiah says there is nothing in his appearance that we would be attracted to him. It is that he would suffer and die and rise. Then Mary, outside the tomb, could not let go of him. His disciples followed him into death. And you and I, too, serve because we have been served by him. His forgiveness. You follow in the covenant fulfilled. Amen.